Welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be here with you again as we continue our series, Proverbially Speaking. We've been exploring the wisdom of Agar, and Agar this week gives us insights into leadership. Now, you may be listening and you have the opportunity, most of us have the opportunity in some aspect of life to show leadership, whether it's in our church, in our work, in our families, in our neighborhoods, some opportunity. But it also is important, even if you feel like, I, I, I don't have any place that I'm showing leadership, it's important to think about it, because we also should know what godly leadership looks like, so that we know when ungodly things are happening. And so, wherever you might be tonight, this is an important topic for all of us to think about, and I can't wait to dig in. So let's come before our God in prayer, and then we'll jump right in. Let's pray. Father, we know that you are the king of all. You are the ultimate leader. You are the one who oversees everything. And yet, in different parts of our lives, you give us opportunities to lead and to be led. Lord, in those places where we lead, would you help us to lead faithfully? And in those places where we are led, would you help us to have wisdom and discernment, to, to go along with what is godly, and yet to stand firm when, when leadership is ungodly? Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When we talk about leadership, we, we may have a whole list of things that we normally think of as being the keys of successful leadership. How much money the person makes, how much power they command, how much respect do they get on the magazine covers if we're talking about national or worldwide leaders. Maybe we think of someone like the President of the United States or, or right now the President of Ukraine who's sort of captured everyone's imagination. We, we, we think of different kinds of leaders, maybe a great military leader. And, and generally, it boils down to some of these things. How, how large of a group of people could they lead? How much do they make? How much do they influence? But we need to know that we're actually using the godly metrics to measure leaders. Because sometimes we, we think we see things moving forward in leadership, and, and it's only in a very worldly way. It's like if you're building a building. Say you're building some townhomes. And, and there were some townhomes being built not far from where I am right now a few years ago, right alongside 364-94, if you're familiar with the heart of St. Charles County. And, and they were being built, and, and they were nice and tall. They were probably three, maybe four stories tall. They, they, were, they had all kinds of high-energy stuff that was supposed to go into them. They, they looked impressive. Certainly, they reached a, a height that was impressive, where driving down the highway with everything else being mostly ranch or maybe two-story homes, it, it looked impressive. It looked like they'd achieved something. But then something happened to the builder. I, I don't know the details of it, but presumably the builder went belly up, or at least their ability to finance that development dissolved, and those buildings just sat there. And they sat there and they deteriorated in the weather and, and they were still lofty and yet they were deteriorating on the inside and the outside until a time when finally someone came and they tore them down. They didn't actually achieve anything of lasting importance. And yet if, if our measurement of success of a building was how high it was, it, it, at least keeping in mind suburban St. Charles, it was pretty successful. It was elevated but useless. 
Sometimes that's the way it is with leaders, whether it's us leading and, and we're measuring by the wrong marks. And so it looks like we're, we're building up to lofty heights and yet it's really in a way that's useless. And sometimes that's the way it is in, in our government, but also in our churches. And we as Christians should be discerning on what good leadership looks like. And I believe that's what Agar is directing us to think about as we turn back to Proverbs chapter 30 and look starting at verse 29. Take a look there if you would with me. Agar says, three things are stately in their tread, four are stately in their stride. The lion, which is the mightiest among the beasts and does not turn back before any, the strutting rooster, the he-goat, and a king whose army is with him. That's an interesting combination of figures there, isn't it? If we're talking about stately and, and, and leadership People generally recognize lions in that role, the king of the jungle, right? We, we, we see them in that role. And then we think about the rooster and the rooster's strutting about with the, the hens about and looks somewhat regal. Maybe we think of him as somewhat regal. We don't normally think of goats in a regal capacity. Yet the, the goats listed there. And then the king with his army with him. What's the commonality here? Well, as we dig in, it's going to lead us to understand that what God cares about not just as someone being a leader or even looking important, like the lion, but good leadership, leadership that does what God intends. And that's what we need to think about, is what does God intend a leader to do? And, and the thing that we can find first in all four of these is that a leader defends those in whom he is placed with the charge of. If you're talking about the lion, the lion is going to defend his pride. If you're talking about the, the rooster, he's going to defend the hens. If you're talking about the he-goat, he's going to defend the other goats. The, the, the goat that's in charge is going to defend. What's the king with his army going to do? Well, if he's doing what he's supposed to do, he also is going to defend his flock, his people, and make sure that they're okay. Now, some commentators have looked at this and said it's purely about the, the uh, commentary on how splendid it is to see those in places of authority lead. A lion's majestic in his own right, the, the rooster is. But like I said, the, the goat is a little bit more questionable. And as we're going to see as we go along, so too can be the king. It's not accidental that those two come at the end. So it doesn't seem to be entirely about just the majesty of leadership. Sometimes that's the way we act in the church, that, oh, someone's a leader. Isn't it majestic that they're a leader? We need to respect them because they're a leader, and we forget that they're a leader for a purpose. In each case here, the one doing this, if Agar's admiring those doing what they're made to do and called to do, they're defending those whom they have the charge of. They're, they're protecting them. And, and so that is the starting point. Leadership in a biblical sense is for the sake of those who are led. It's not for the leader's sake. And so we need to evaluate our churches and ministries by this. Do, do we focus on how many privileges the leaders get? Do the leaders demand privileges and respect and, and authority? Some of that should come, but is that what they're demanding? Or are they getting it because people genuinely respect them? If you think about a pastor in a church, and I know many of you that listen aren't 
a part of Little Hills, but also if you are a part of the Little Hills, you should be evaluating those of us who are, are doing teaching roles in, in Little Hills the same way. Wherever you are, you should be doing this. You should be asking, is the person demanding respect because they're in the role of the teacher or the pastor? Or to the extent that they have it, are they receiving it because they're actually doing what God's called them to do? Each of us in our roles where we are leading should ask the same thing. We shouldn't be in it for the privileges. And even when people give us benefits for doing it, where they, they offer us respect or kindness or they pray for us or whatever it might be, we should be asking, are we actually doing what God has charged us to do? Are we just enjoying the, the fruits of the position? It's really, really important. And it, it's grounded in that idea that, that leaders are there for the sake of those who are led. A pastor of a church is not there to, to somehow benefit from the status of pastor, to get the clergy pass to go to the Cardinals game, or, or to occasionally have someone be kind to them in the store, to get the, the easy parking spot when they have to go to, the, to visit the hospital because it's the clergy spot. It's not about those sorts of things. It's, it's about ultimately following Christ's example and serving the people of the church. And not just the pastor, the lay leadership too. If if you have an opportunity to serve as a deacon or an elder or some other kind of leader within a local church or, or a ministry, all of us that are in those positions should be asking, am I doing it because I have the status and people respect me for it and it makes me feel important? Or am I doing it because I see how God has called me into this spot to serve the people and I want to make sure that they're well served, well loved, well protected, that they're tended to. That, that just as that rooster is protecting the, the, the chickens in the chicken yard, so too that is what every leader should be doing within the realm of his or her influence, making sure that what we're doing is actually taking that, that gift of a position that God has allowed us to, to use whatever gifts he's given us and develop and do it for the benefit of others. Sometimes we get to absurd examples of the opposite. And one of those that strikes me are the so-called anti-popes. And, and maybe you, you've heard about these. Uh, this in particular, this is a picture of Peter III, Pope Peter III of the Christian Palmarian Church of the Carmelites of the Holy Face. Now you may say, I, I thought w when it comes to popes and Catholics and such, isn't isn't it Pope Francis? What are you talking about? Pope Peter III? I've, I've never heard of him. Well, it's not surprising you haven't heard of him because he is the third in line of a series of popes who de declared a, a number of popes back in, in Catholic circles that the rest of the popes were no, they were no longer valid, that there had been a vision from Jesus to establish a new line of popes. And, and they have this little facility in Spain where they have made themselves Pope. And if you look again at Peter here, he has, I mean, look at that crown, look at the surroundings. I don't have a picture of the building to pull up just now, but the building, his cathedral is quite impressive as well. He has all the grandeur of a leader, and yet there's only an estimated maybe 1,000, 1,500 people in this church that he is leading as the alleged head of the entire Christian church seems a little bit like he's in it for the grandeur. I don't know anyone else who leads a thousand people who wears a crown like that, who declares himself the universal leader of a group around the world. And yet there's a number of people doing that, these so-called anti-popes. And it seems like sort of a, a perfect example of when we get into leadership for leadership's sake. 
Now, thankfully, if you walk into your average local church, you're probably not going to see the pastor wearing a giant crown. He probably can't afford a giant crown, but he may act like he has one. You may be involved in a parachurch ministry, some some wonderful missions organization or campus ministry or what have you, and yet there may be people that act like they have really a great importance in and of themselves, where it becomes more about building themselves up rather than doing the work that that church or ministry is called to do. And the problem is, oftentimes that's a, a thing that's justified in, in a scriptural way where people say, maybe they'll turn to a passage like this and say, and God loves when leaders lead and they look important, just like the lion. And yet it's really, really important when Agar turns to human leaders, he qualifies it. He doesn't just say, it's so amazing when there's a king... The king isn't all that amazing. You could have a king of one person or ten people or a thousand people like that, that anti-pope Peter. But what is it here? A king whose army is with him. And people have wrestled with exactly how to translate that phrase. It's a challenging and unusual Hebrew phrase. But what it seems to be saying in one way or another is how majestic it is when a king has the, the allegiance of his people, that his people know they can trust him and they're willing to be led by him because they know that he's a good king, that there's a healthy dynamic between king and people, like we often saw in the time of David, for example. And, and in the best moments of the Davidic line in the Old Testament, the leader was a servant leader. Sometimes David was, sometimes he wasn't. Sometimes Solomon was, sometimes he wasn't. And we could look at Hezekiah or Josiah. Sometimes they were, sometimes they didn't do everything they were supposed to do. But that's what you see in the best moments there. That's certainly what you see when we come to the ultimate heir of that line, Jesus. And listen to what he says about leadership in Mark chapter 9. It says, He sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and a servant of all. Jesus has gathered up the, the, the 12, the most important leaders of the church. And if you think about it, not just in that moment, but for all time, because here are the 12 that are closest to Jesus who are going to take the message of the gospel out. And, and even today, we're going to turn to what they taught us about who Jesus is so that we can know him. That's how he communicated who he is to us through these 12. They could easily put on more impressive crowns than the one we saw a moment ago, and yet they weren't called to do that. Jesus says if, to, to these most important leaders of the church, the ones who are going to be used by him to found that church, if you want to be a true leader, if you want to be first, be last. Serve everyone. Now, the disciples didn't always get this. So they didn't get it a lot. And we see that just a chapter later in Mark in chapter 10. It says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. Jesus corrects them as they make this request. He responds to them and he explains that's not something for them to request, but they are actually going to go and lead, but not in the way that they think. They're not ready for it, 
And when they are ready for it, they're not going to be demanding, give us a royal place where people will look at us and see us alongside you in your glory. And everyone's going to hail us as, as your top lieutenants, your, your prime ministers, your most important delegates. They're going to go, they're going to proclaim, they're going to suffer. Their crown is going to be a crown of persecution. Their robe is going to be a robe of rejection. But they're going to do it because the Holy Spirit is with them. At that moment, though, they weren't wanting those dangers. They weren't wanting what it looks like to to pursue the Christian life with our whole hearts in the way that it actually plays out. They were wanting the stateliness, as Agar would say, of respect. They wanted people to look at them and say, wow, look at these leaders, because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and so he, as he is, and and so he was clearly going to come into his kingdom, and, and wouldn't it be great to be those people who sit in the throne room? But they weren't ready for what actually was going to come yet. Jesus was going to prepare them. But the problem was that they, they were thinking of stateliness as we often misinterpret this passage. We look at the lion and the rooster and their proud strut, and we think about that as being a leader, and that's what they wanted to do. They didn't realize that true leadership is far more about the relationship between the leader and those being led by him or her. And, and he, what we see here in Agar's development of this and his ultimate arrival at that statement with the king and his army is that it's important to not only look at the king, not only look at the leader, but look at those being led. And you should look at how does the leader serve the people around him? And how do those people respond to him? How does that work? Is it an organic, healthy situation? And Jesus doesn't just tell this to his disciples when he's instructing them and then go do something different. He actually lives it. Take a look at John chapter 13. We're at the the upper room during the Last Supper, and it says when he had washed their feet, he'd been washing their feet, and he put on his outer garments, and he resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And you've probably heard on a Monday, Thursday service or a Good Friday service, someone talks about that moment and has pointed out quite rightly that, I mean, we probably don't want to go wash people's feet right now, but if you imagine people in, in shoes that aren't quite as kind to their feet and they don't have as accessible sorts of bathing uh you know, showers and tubs and running water and everything. Feet weren't necessarily a, a terribly pleasant thing, even more so then than they are now. And so it was always someone who was rather lowly who washed feet. And yet Jesus says, you're right. I am your teacher. I am your Lord. I am the leader. I am the king. Yeah, I'm going to wash your feet because I want you to go wash other people's feet. I want you to go into the unpleasantness of people's lives and help them, not look for them to give you respect and honor and privilege. Not for people to gawk at how you can stride like an important leader, but people to be caught up by you following me serving. So people know who God really is. People would feel my love. We need to ask ourselves when we're in a position of leadership, do I want to be elevated or do I want to be used by God? 
Because if I focus on, I want to be elevated, I want people to respect me. I'm, I'm going to, if people question me, my answer is going to be, I'm the leader, why are you questioning me? If we're trying to figure out how much respect or privilege or pay or whatever else that we think that we deserve, are we looking at what's necessary for us to survive so that we can serve people? Or are we looking for what's going to make our lives cushy? We need to ask those things, because if we're focused on those things that elevate us in, in a worldly status, then we're not really focused on being used by God. When we're focused on being used by God, we, we give thanks to God when he provides those things, and, and it's right and good that, that people serving in ministry should be provided with an income to be able to serve. It's right and good that, that if we've found someone who has wisdom in teaching or, or gifts in service or whatever else, that, that we respect those gifts and we honor them, and, and yet that's not the point for the person. And if it becomes the point for the person, it's a problem. Sometimes we, we put ourselves up too high and we're not ready to serve in the way that's needed. Did you happen to see the viral video that went around this past week? It's just so delightful from the police department in Old Town, Maine. Take a look at it. We're in a police car here and a lost sheep, a lost sheep is being driven home. And you can tell, I think that, bah, was, was, I think he was saying, thank you for driving me home. But the police were driving around. They saw this lost sheep. They, they put the, the sheep in the patrol car and they found the sheep's home. Now, the police officer could have said, well, I'm not animal control. That's beneath me. I, I deal with enough, enough problems. I need more respect. I don't need to be seen driving around with a sheep and, and could have driven right past that sheep. But in that moment, the police officer saw that he had the, the ability uh, he he knew how to handle the animal. He had the means. He had the car. He had the position as a police officer to go deal with this. And so he chose to. And so that sheep was served. That lost sheep was brought back to where he needed to be. And 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 as we look at it, we can't help but smile because we look at this this sweet animal that needed to be brought back home and how he, he was brought back home. How wonderful is that? But it easily could have never happened if the particular officer had been thinking about, well, what's dignified? How am I going to be looked at if I'm herding sheep? I'm a, an important police officer in this town. But instead, clearly that person was worried with serving. And then it went online and it's not only brought joy to that owner of that sheep and to that sheep, but to people all over the place. And oftentimes when we do things focused on serving other people, when we're not focused on what it does for our status, and how we serve, not only do we bring joy to the person whom we're serving, and not only does God actually fill us with joy as we experience his pleasure in that, but so too often it brings smiles to other people seeing what's going on. You see, the right kind of leadership is good. Leadership should actually bring joy to people. So often it brings frowns, it brings pain, because we think, this person's just in it for themselves. But may that not be said of us as we lead in our churches, in our families, in our neighborhoods, at work, where any place that we are, any place God situates us, may we do differently because as people know that we say that we follow Jesus, the ultimate servant leader, the one who actually served even though he had every, every, every reason to demand respect and honor instead. As we follow him and we actually follow his example, people learn about him. 
People see something different. People see a reason for hope. People experience joy like we do watching that sheep being rescued. So may we be rescuers of sheep, not people strutting about just looking for self-importance. And as we go into churches and ministries and every place else, may we also, as Christians, understand that's what God values. And so if you're someplace and you see unhealthy leadership in the church, it might be an indication you're not where you're supposed to be. We need to be following what God says is good. And the right kind of leadership is good. It's not leadership for leadership's sake. It's leadership to serve, that we might serve as Jesus has served us. Would you pray with me, please? Father, so often we forget what good leadership looks like. We think of the things that the world says elevate, and yet, just like those buildings that we thought about at the beginning, we're building up high and tall, and and yet in a way that just ultimately has to collapse. Lord, would you help us instead to be those who go and serve, that worry more about how you've placed opportunities to serve before us, rather than worrying about our own dignity or how people respect us or, or, or treat us. Lord, would you help us to follow the example of your Son, our Savior, Jesus, that through all things that we do, that people might be brought closer to you by the power of your Holy Spirit. May we turn all the more to you, and may we follow you. May the world know your love and your care for it through the way that your people act. May you use us to demonstrate that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, next week we're going to be wrapping up this year's installment of Proverbially Speaking. We're going to be looking at humility and anger, things that can run into problems and corrode a lot of the things that Agar has been helping us to think about over these last weeks. It's going to be, I believe, a wonderful time digging into God's Word. And so I hope you'll join me at 7 p.m. next week. Can't wait to do that. Also, if you haven't already, do check out this week's video going through the Psalms devotionals. Melanie took us through Psalms 82, 83, and 84 this week. Today we're, we're reading together Psalm 82 by Wednesday 83 by Friday 84. And I encourage you, do go to grow.faithtree.com and discuss it on there. We, you can post one, a verse from one of those Psalms that meant something to you, a question, an application, some way that God's speaking to you, and we can encourage each other. There's so much coming up this week at Little Hills. We have men's Bible study on Thursday. We have the next installment of our Songs for Our Temple Psalm devotional readings that will be posted on Saturday. Jim will be sharing this week. And then on Sunday, we are going to be together in person for worship with a special guest preacher at 5.30 p.m. I hope you'll join us as Jason, who you've seen on the Faith Tree prayer walks and you've seen on Songs for Our Temple, is going to be in person. He's getting ready to move to South Carolina. So if you've been wanting to meet him in person, this is a wonderful opportunity to do so. I do hope that you'll join us at 5.30 p.m. in person if you can. Online, of course, is always live streaming as well on Sunday if you would prefer that as well. If there's any way I can be praying for you this week, if you have any prayers, uh, questions, anything, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen. Leave a comment in the comments below. I do love hearing from you. I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week, and I hope to see you at some of these things and then back here next week.